what goes up does not have to come down until you're ready. Dr. Elliot Justin. Stay tuned to find out why your partner's ED is essential to address and how. So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock solid metabolism, lasting weight loss and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hormone Prescription. Thank you so much for joining me today. As we dive into the topic of erectile dysfunction for men, you know, it's kind of interesting that you know, we women actually get erections of our clitoris. It's really a mini penis. And most women aren't aware of that. And if you're not getting erections, that's something that needs to be addressed. I think we dive into this in this episode, in the interview, we talk a little bit about this. He calls calls it something else for women. But for men and women, it really can be a sign of larger health issues, particularly related to your cardiac function, to your heart, that can be lethal. So it's something you need to pay attention to. A lot of guys don't talk to their doctors about this issue because they're embarrassed. And really, y'all, those days are over. You need to start talking to your doctors about your sex. You just do. It's imperative. Your sex is not separate from your total function, your liver function, your hormone function, your brain function, your gastrointestinal digestive function, your heart cardiac function. Your sex is an essential part of your body, of who you are, how you function, your vitality. We get into that in this episode. Dr. Justin is on the same page with me. So if your doctor is ignoring your sexuality and not talking to you about it, it's time that you brought it up and demand to have it addressed. And also for your partner. But I know that we women sometimes play that role for the men in our lives to be the one to help them get over themselves and talk about this with their doctor. So we're going to talk about how to do that in this episode and more. Dr. Justin is not only a physician who's treated many, many patients, but he's a researcher, he's a developer, and he, like me, is always thinking about how can we serve people better? How can we help them live healthier, happier, longer lives. So I think you're going to love Dr. Justin as much as I love talking to him. Just note, this is an explicit interview. So we do say some words that you might not want your kiddos to hear. So if you don't want them to hear it, you might want to switch to a different episode and listen to this when you are in privacy. Just a note. And uh, I'll tell you a little about Dr. Justin, then we'll get started. So Dr. Elliot Justin is a medical doctor 
Dr. Fellow and CEO, the founder of FirmTech. It's the first sex tech company dedicated to improving men's erectile fist fitness. Most sex companies are just sex toy companies, but his is a tech company to improve erectile fitness. He has a background in emergency med and healthcare technology consulting, and he's a serial healthcare entrepreneur, like I said, always developing things to help people live better lives. And he's founded and sold multiple companies and provided guidance to various services. And he's just an all-around badass who loves helping people. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Without further ado, please help me welcome Dr. Elliot Justin to the show. Thanks. I welcome the opportunity to speak. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on because you and I both know that men are not talking to their doctors about their erectile difficulties, their sexual difficulties, their low libido, all the problems they're having in the bedroom. We know that. They, their women, female partners are aware and therefore we're really the ones that need the information. So if you're a woman listening, listen up because really I always say that erectile dysfunction could save a man's life. And we're going to talk about that. And you're probably scratching your head going, how could that save a man's life? But I want to start by... I can you know, explain you that. Have a background. Yeah, we'll get to that. You have a background in emergency medicine and healthcare technology. So what got you interested in diving deeper into the subject of men's sexuality and erectile dysfunction and men's sexual health? Well, my background, I'm an emergency medicine physician. And since 2015, I've been doing medical technology. It's how I, I got to this. As an emergency medicine doctor, I can assure you that short of a heart attack or a stroke, there are a few emergencies that concern a man as much as a limp dick. So this is something that's of, of, you know, of vital importance to men, both their self-esteem and their health. I got involved in this. I was, I was actually working on a very complicated uh, catheter to regulate blood pressure after stroke. A urologist heard what I was doing and said, I see you've done some research with neuromodulation of erectile function, which I had. A neuromodulation, we mean placing an electrode by a nerve. There's the paradigm for that is cardiac pacemaker that controls your heart, control your heart even after, even after you're dead. My thought was if we can control sexuality, the impact on, on, on an aging population would be enormous. I will say that project failed. I tried to neuromodulate the cavernous nerve, which is everyone's favorite nerve that no one's heard about. Suppose the nerve that's responsible for producing orgasms in men and women. We tried out on, on, some, on some sheep and actually on myself with, with, you know, to no effect. I actually don't think that we know how orgasms are produced. It's very complicated. Well, oddly, even more complicated than, than the heart. So this urologist came to me about in 2015 and said, I want to count the number of nocturnal erections. Excuse me. came to me three years ago, 2020. And said, I want to count the number of nocturnal erections that are a leading indicator of man's cardiovascular health. And I said, really? I know, I know anything about it. I, you know, I mean, everyone knows about morning wood. We poke up partners with it. We, make, we, we laugh about it. But a healthy man has three to five nocturnal erections per night. And if that number goes down, it's a sign of an impending heart attack or stroke. So it's not just an association. Blood taking a blood, high blood pressure is associated with stroke and heart attack. Decline number of nocturnal erections is actually a leading indicator. It's, it's predictive. So that, I thought, gee, that could be enormous as an emergency medicine doctor. What a, that's another vital sign. And a vital sign that would be much more compelling to men probably than any other, than any other, other vital signs. And we live in this age of healthcare wearables for pretty much everything except for sex. 
And what do men, frankly women, care more about? How many steps they took yesterday or the calorie count or, this, or, this, or, or their sexual health? And that's, you know, that's, a, that's a rhetorical question for most people. So the numbers are enormous, as you indicated earlier. I mean, 50% of men by age 50 have erectile dysfunction. It's even higher for women. And why is it higher for women? Because postmenopausal women lose their hormonal protection against heart disease. So postmenopausal women have all the same problems that men do with diabetes, high blood pressure, atherosclerosis, heart attacks, et cetera. But premenopausal women take SSRI antidepressants and they take hormones, all which have, have, both of which have a significant impact upon their sexual performance and sexual health. So with, with data, if we can give people data, we can now transform the quality of, 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 health, of healthcare. We can transform how things are managed. Because there's a cliche, if you can track it, you can hack it. So right now, when it comes to sexual health, doctors just really just have opinions. If I went, I'm 70 years old. If I went to a urologist or a sexologist right now and said, I like where my, where, where my sexual health is right now. I can perform every day. My wife and I are happy, but I want to keep it there. What can, what can you tell me? Or I told him, you know, I'm, having, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling getting erections. They can wave an ultrasound over my, over my penis in the office, but I'm not getting aroused. I'm not finding out what I really want to know, which is what's, what's happening when I'm trying to, trying to perform. So if we can give people data, they can then measure the impact of diseases, medications, diet, supplements, all these claims that are made and see what works for them. Yeah, you know, you you made so many great points in that. I just want to go back and highlight a couple sure. of them. So number one is that most women don't realize that erectile dysfunction is a problem for women. Women, yes, we get erections, ladies, like because our clitoris is... A, small penis and they do get erect with sexual arousal and that we women just write off that we're not getting aroused we don't have orgasms as oh it's only a pleasure problem but it's not just like for men like you said it's a leading indicator for cardiac disease it is a leading indicator for cardiac disease and hormonal poverty for you ladies so i just want to highlight that because I think that's essential. But now I want to go back. So this is great okay. that you, you really saw that there was a need for this. And you probably recognize men aren't going to go to the doctor for this. They're not going to talk about it. And so you started looking at ways that they could actually measure this themselves, right? Correct. Well, their doctors are really ignorant about this. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you two examples. In, I was approached by Dr. Hotelling, professor of urology at University of Utah, to count the number of nocturnal erections. And he wanted to embed sensors into a device like a condom ring, but, had six, mm -hmm. but it would have six times the elasticity of a condom ring. And I looked at this device and said, well, that's not going to work because condom rings break. So he's a urologist, unaware of the fact that, that this piece of common technology is actually vulnerable to breaking. Also, condom rings can rotate, which, mean, which means you should have rotational artifact. And my thought to hit the response to him was, well, well, let's do better than that. Let's try to do more than just count the number of nocturnal erections. Let's try to figure out the health of all erections. So I, my thought was to embed sensors into an advanced form of an erection ring or cock ring, as they're colloquially known. This doctor had never used the cock ring. Now, I have yet to find, well, here's a joke we have at medical, at medical congresses. I'll ask you, how do you tell the difference between a straight doctor and a gay doctor? Yes, one question. Karen? Have you used a cock ring? Is that the question? That's the question you got. Yeah. <laughs> Have you used a cock ring? You got and the answer is, and the straight doctor is like, nine, is like never. Because they just, whether it's male pride 
or I don't, you know, this uh, straight doctors treat cock rings like a Superman kryptonite. I don't need that. Gay doctors would be like, yeah, like last night you got a better one. So gay straight doctors aren't open to the, really what should be the, the first line of therapy for a man who has erectile dysfunction. Then you, you have there's no there's no sense from these doctors about what is no, what is normal sexual be- behavior. The scoring systems that are used by your urologist or your sexologist to evaluate men or women for that matter are focused on penetrative sex. There's a shim score, the Adam, the Adam. You're probably familiar with these. They don't reflect what people are actually doing. Most 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 sex between between partners over the age of 40, penetration is just a part of it. It's not the focus. It's not the endpoint. And these studies, like something out of the 1950s or 60s, are focused on that as an endpoint. Then the urologists think, okay, the first line of therapy is to give is to give a PD-5 medication, with Viagra, Cialis being the you know the, the top ones. Well, those medications put more blood into the penis, but they don't keep it there. Mm-hmm. Most men's problem is not getting it up. Most men's problem is losing an erection. That can happen for a whole variety of reasons from anxiety, diabetes, hypertension, alcohol, drugs. And then the most common one that, that urologists don't think about because all men get it, all women get it too, which is venous leak syndrome. Urologists are, sur- are surgery oriented. The pill doesn't work. They want to put an implant into a penis or, or do some sort of surgical procedure. So venous leak syndrome is something that we can be born with. Very, very few men have it where you you get blood to the penis, but it leaks out because the muscles that control the veins to hold the blood of the penis aren't, aren't very strong. Venous leak syndrome is something that we all experience as we get older. I, mean, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 70. If I sit on a plane for five, six hours, my socks will start to pinch. My wedding band will, my thing will be hard, hard to take off my finger because I have venous leak. Because as I get older, the, the muscles in my small veins don't pump blood back to my heart as effectively. It's the same thing for the penis. As we get older, our, 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 the smooth muscles weaken in our penis. We get an erection and we lose it. Now, that, that loss could be accelerated by anxiety or it could be the very cause of, cause of anxiety or, or caused by medications. I mean, our research shows that the big cock killers are SSRI antidepressants and antihypertensives and, or in combination. But the solution is a plumbing solution. The PD-5 medications put more blood in the penis. A properly used cock ring holds the blood in the penis allowing a man to sustain erection for more, for more satisfactory time period. Cock rings should be mainstreamed. I'm looking, I look at vibrators in my lifetime. My mother's vibrator was in a bottom dresser drawer of a supply closet. Just thought we'd never find it. <laughs> we didn't know what it was. We found it. You know, you know, I don't know. My wife probably owns seven or eight. My, my daughter takes them on dates. They've been mainstreamed. It's no longer considered to be shameful for a woman to use a vibrator. Most women, I think the latest report, there were 60 women, 60 million women in the United States own more than one. What do men have? Well, they have these monstrous things called strokers, like something you could beat someone to death with. They don't have anything, but, but they do have cock rings. But cock rings have been made the wrong way for many years. Can I, may I explain? Yeah. So I want to come up with a cock ring that could be worn overnight Well, because co- I want to count data. I want to count these nocturnal erections. I also want to come up with a cock ring that can be worn comfortably during sex with sensors inside of it in order to record the duration, the firmness of every erection to get baseline data on man's sexual health. But cock rings have been made for 150 years out of tight silicone ring. You have to have an erection before you put them on because they choke off the blood supply. It's like a noose on a penis. I mean, it's like something designed by a hangman. I mean, so I thought, let's make cock rings out of a soft elastomer. So these are, I don't know if we're on camera right now, but these, these our rings are unique. They're, they're made out of, out of a soft elastomer. So they're comfortable. Elastomers adopt us. Silicone makes us adopt to them. I also want the ring to be safe, easy on, easy off. Many men are overweight. They, 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 can't, they can't even see their penis. Men, who, they're, they're anxious. These things need to be made very, very easy for them. I would suspect that about half the heterosexual sex in the world starts 
when a man is scratching his wife's back when she takes a bra off at night. Women don't like bras on their back because there's silicone in the, in, in the back. It's itchy to the skin. I was looking at my wife's bra on the ground and I thought, oh, a hook. Women don't put on bras over their head. A bra is a ring that opens and closes with a hook. Let's make an erection ring with a hook so it's easy on, easy off. And then let's also design an, a ring that man can put on when he's flaccid. So we can put on discreetly, put on hours before sex, and it can be worn for hours. So it doesn't block the arterial flow in. It only constrains, constrains the venous return. And then let's also try to design a ring that will make a, a man's pleasure more intense. It's not a vibrator. The way we do that with a man is we draw out the ejaculation. So we, test, we tested a ring on a group of men age, between ages 27 and 70. The goal that if we put the right, we want to increase the ejaculatory phase by 50%. So this ring, my ejaculatory phase goes in four seconds to seven seconds. That's a significantly more powerful orgasm. I think it's good as a vibrator, but it's, it's, if it's just for a woman, but it's instantly more powerful orgasm. But more importantly, now by putting sensors into it, we, can, we have a ring that's comfortably worn overnight to count nocturnal erections, which are leading to indicator of man's cardiovascular health. And worn during sex, the ring can measure the duration of firmness of erections. So now men can measure the impact of everything from medications, diseases, supplements, diets, relationships, mm-hmm. upon the sexual performance and say what works, what doesn't work. So I want to ask you, because you, you mentioned this before we started recording and then we touched a little bit on it just then, that vibrators are mainstream for women. I mean, they're all kinds. You can get like, what did I see online? Uh, it was like a superhero shaped vibrator. And I mean, they got everything. So sex toys for women are really mainstream, but not for men unless they're gay men. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's several reasons. I think w- women, one, represent a much larger market. Women do, women make well, like 80% of the purchases overall in the United States. Or I, I, think might be, I think it might be worldwide. Women purchase, if you, if you exclude condoms, Women purchase the majority of the sex toys. So when people look at numbers in, in the sex toy area, they say, oh, well, men buy more. Well, not, not, not that. Once you, once you exclude condoms, then it's, you know, then it's women. I think, I think women are, are more open-minded, represent a, a larger market. I also think the vibrator has been so enormously successful. No one else has figured out something equivalent for, you know, for men. I think for gay men, it's different. They're really, they're, uh, really focused on, on the sexual pleasure and much less mm-hmm. inhibited. And also, anal sex requires a harder penis. It's harder to penetrate the anal sphincter than it is to penetrate a vagina. So, a cock ring is becomes you know an almost necessary tool. Okay, uh, you, you made a comment though before we were recording. Something about you, the way you said it was pretty comical because you said if a woman brings sex toys into the bedroom, yeah. so yes, can right. you share that? That no problem. Yeah, uh, sure. If a man, yeah. then what happens? Yeah, when when men do sex toys. The industry surveys say they get used one or two times and then they get thrown out. If a woman introduces a sex toy, it gets used for as long and as often as she wants, wants it to be used. But And that also inhibits men about buying sex toys as well, too, because they're not going to get used. I also, I don't think any effort has been really been made by the industry to make sex, make cock rings sexy. But, but, I, but the data shows, this, this is really important because and there's, we we've, uh, have an internal study to this effect, and there's going to be a big paper, two part papers about rings at the American Rose Association and Congress coming up coming up in uh, in May. One is going to, is going to show that if a man wants to have a longer lasting erection, a ring is more more effective than a PD five medication. Well, big farmers not going to like that, and, oh, right. and the heterosexual doctors have, have, have frankly been they should have caught on to this a long time ago. And if we're using rings, they would realize it. But a ring to Dalafil 
in our internal data. We'll keep, uh, we were looking at detumescence data. So no one has studied detumescence. Detumescence is the time it takes for an erection to go down. We didn't measure time to go up because there's so many variables involved in that. Are you with a partner? Are you masturbating? Are you watching, are you watching porn? Are you drinking? We just were interested in, in time it takes for erection to go down because that would be a measure of how much blood is held in the penis. So the ring alone, Dalfo alone, sustains an erection on the average of two, two to three minutes afterwards. The ring is, is about four and a half minutes. And a ring plus the dalafil is about five and a half minutes. So that, those are men without ED. So the takeaway message really is for, for all men would be, if you want to have a longer lasting, harder erection, put a ring on it and take a pill. Also, if you're a man who suffers a premature ejaculation and you want to keep thrusting afterwards comfortably, not uncomfortably, put a ring on it, take a pill. Mm-hmm. You made the comment several times, and I don't want to bypass it because I think it's worth talking about because I know somebody listening is wondering, why are doctors so phobic about talking about sex? You know, the sexual function is a leading indicator of your overall health and vitality. So looking at a male, man or woman's sexual functioning, it, I think, is vital to their overall health assessment. And if there's any difficulty there, it's essential to evaluate it because it corresponds to cortisol stress hormone levels and their other sex hormone levels and vascular function, cardiac function, but also as a preventative practice, just like drinking enough water, just like enough aerobic exercise, weight-bearing exercise, sex, regular active, pleasurable sex is vital in promoting vitality. So what are we missing? Because I know women are listening going, why isn't my doctor talking to me about this? Why isn't my doctor talking to my partner about this? What is the problem with doctors here? I am so angry about this issue because we we physicians are doing our patients a a horrific disservice. I'm 70 years old. I'm a doctor. Doctors should feel comfortable talking to me. I've never had a doctor warn me about the sexual side effect of medication. I've never had a doctor ask me about my marriage. To not ask those questions is stupid. It's insensitive. Now, one reason is there are no no boxes to check for those things. There's no way of making money addressing those things that they should. And and, and that actually applies to urologists as well, too. They often don't take complete sex histories with people. They just, hey, here's a PD-5 medication. We'll do an ultrasound. You're not working. You need an implant. You're not helping the person that way. I completely agree with you. I mean, the studies show that if someone has sex every day, their cortisol levels significantly improve. If men, in a control study, big study, was done in Wales, I think, in Scotland, if men, have, men of equivalent cardiovascular disease at age 70 start having sex twice a week, their risk of cardiac arrest goes down 50% over the next five years. The benefits are, are enormous, and we should be recommending to people to have more sex. We doctors make recommendations about diet, about exercise, about sleep, and we don't speak about sex. And if we do speak about it, we're embarrassed. We have, I believe me, people want to talk about it. My, my last year of emergency medicine, clinical practice, I said, you know what, I'm just going to do what I was trained to do in medical school. I'm going to add a sexual history to pretty much all my exams. Well, it turned out that even people came in with an ankle sprain want to talk about, both, a lot of them just want to talk about their sex lives. If they don't want to talk about it, the spouse wants to tell you all about it. So people, men and women, are hungry for this information. And to your point, and I'd like to brought it up, Dr. Dunstan, we are, doctors are doing them a tremendous disservice. But I don't know if doctors, most of the doctors are even capable of discussing it because they're kind of, they're relative, as, as a group, they're relatively prudish and conservative. In the, conservative is sort of an old-fashioned old, old 
kind of you know, meaning about sex. Before I got involved in this field, I never, I never went to sexual congresses of urology or society of sexual medicine congresses. No one's talking, there's very little talk about, about pleasure. It's all, the focus is on surgery or, and pills. And it's not focused on what most con- what concerns most people, which is how do I maintain my sexual health? If, I, if I'm in poor sexual health, how, what can I do to reverse it? It's, you know, the, the focus of the doctors is, is on things, I'll be blunt, things that make the money. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And really, sex has been relegated to the closet for everyone. And it's such a vital part of health prevention, of promotion of vitality, prevention of disease. I would be remiss if I didn't ask about, you mentioned some causes and contributors to erectile dysfunction, sexual dysfunction in men, if we didn't talk about porn, because that's epidemic among men in the United States, all over the world, globally. How does that affect, and I know there's some women listening who are like, my husband watches porn, is that part of the problem? Well, I'm, I'm ambivalent about porn, because for a lot of men, is escaping to a world where, they, where, they, where in fantasy, they, they get what they want, and the things that they're not getting from their partners, male or female partners. For some people, porn is beneficial, and for the, so are we gonna ban porn because it's also harmful to some people. I wish that people could discuss porn with their partners. That's really where it comes in. Porn becomes, it can become a window into finding out what someone else's fantasies are. And most people, too many people, don't have sex regularly. They, so before I talk about, talk about porn, because I'm, I'm I'll get to the, male, the major male complaint about porn in a moment. Mm-hmm. Men, too many people stop making love. Mm. That's, they need to plan for pleasure. I mean, it... it, it I bring this up with guys at the gym or women, women too, which is that, hey, you, you because they know what they know what I'm doing. You, you let me know if your love life is not satisfactory. How many hours do you spend working out a week? It'd be like, oh, 10, 14 hours. And I'll say, if you could just take two hours of that away and put that into your relationship. And they look at me like, men and women look at me like, like I'm nuts. Well, it's, it, that, 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 that can't be done. I said, yeah, it can be done and it should be done with planning. You know, a good lovemaking is no more spontaneous than a good exercise session or, or a great meal. I don't just a great, meal. great meal. I <laughs> or a great I don't, I, don't go the, I, don't, I don't go to the refrigerator and say, hey, what, what, what are the leftovers? Let's have leftovers again. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what, let's have rotisserie chicken for the third night in a row. And that's the problem with a lot of people's sex life. They, they, are, they get bored with what they're doing with their partners. Uh, and they don't talk about analogy, it. But I love it. It's great. It's so true. You know, and, and I recently, I've really been diving the past uh, six or so months into sacred sexuality and womb wisdom and the whole, you know, three types of orgasms or more, actually five that women can have. And in diving into this, I've read a lot where the biggest problem for most women regarding sex and why they don't want to have it is because their men don't know how to properly work the machinery, how to please them, the different types of orgasms, what's required to get their motors going and for them to become satisfied and actually to make love. They know how to wham, bam, thank you, man, kind of, ma'am, have sex, but they don't know how to make love. And so I'm wondering, wh- where are guys supposed to learn that? Where are women supposed to learn? I mean, because men have all the same complaints about women. Men my age and men younger, it's like, oh, she's, oh, she, you know, she, she, she thinks she tugs on my, my, my penis like, 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 like an arm as a machine. Or, you know, it's, so people, this, this issue cuts both ways. And this is okay. where people, people need to, people need to, in my opinion, they need, they need to, to communicate better about what they want. I mean, I, I'll get back to, I'll get back to, to my food analogy. My wife mm-hmm. is in the room right now. I don't know what she wants for dinner. 
and I could eat, you know, I, you know, so I, if, if I, if, if I want to, if I want to really make her happy with, for dinner tonight, I should explore what her, her ideas are. I think when it comes to sex, people kind of settle into for both parties. I go down on her, she comes and then I penetrate her. That's kind of pretty, pretty standard and pretty boring sex that goes on for most people. This, they would, they would communicate. And that's what, that's, that's what I think porn can be valuable. People watch, if people explore porn together. They will exp- expand their vocabulary for love, you know, for you know, for lovemaking. Also, there are a lot of guys for whom porn, porn is an outlet for them, the way shopping is for women. And people like to t- say that the porn built the web, but porn might have built the web originally. But shopping sustains the web. Women do eighty-five to ninety percent of shopping online. That women, people have done studies showing that women get the same dopamine hits in their brain that men do from shopping, that men do from watching porn. So gone to plenty of congresses, people like to blame the other sex, but they need to, you know, examine what they're doing. And then they need to, then they need to, they need to communicate better about what, what their mutual needs are and be more open-minded, well, not saying that. That's fascinating information about the shopping. I didn't know that's the case, so you're kind of equating the two. If women think it's ridiculous that a man wants to look at eight, eight bodies online, a guy might also think it's ridiculous that what that she, a woman needs to look at 25 shoes online. I, it's, 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 <laughs> you know, it's... I mean, but meanwhile, to your, you know, Doctor Doctor, to your point, they could be making love. They could be. They could. They could be. And, and that's the problem. They're not talking. They're not not playing for pleasure. They're not communicating. In addition to which, there are other problems which circle back to which we, people are taking a lot of medications to interfere with their sexual performance. With you know half the adult population being diabetic, hypertensive, 20 to 25 percent taking anti anti SSRI antidepressants. All these drugs have, have and these diseases have significant impact upon upon their sexual performance. And people and the doctors don't do a good job about warning people about the sexual side effects. So with data about the, about how long they last, how firm they can get, we have, we're starting to get some data about women with the, the, the trial protocol. We can they, people can then say, you know what, my doctor prescribed 300 milligrams of, of whatever antidepressant, but at around I noticed that at around 150 milligrams, my erections start to soften or I can't ejaculate. So people, I mean, of course, we 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 recommend to everyone they. Don't make changes about with the medications before let's discuss it with healthcare providers. But I know people are doing it because the, the healthcare providers don't know about the don't know about these issues and don't prioritize. You know, they, as you said, you said earlier, the least priority for most doctors is someone's sexual performance. But if someone's right. taking SRI, SRI antidepressant and lisinopril for their blood pressure and they can't get it up, but they can't ejaculate, you're not making, you're not helping, you're not helping the depression very much, and you're not helping their, their partner either. Right, sex is a natural antidepressant. So <laughs> if you fix yes. the sex, you probably wouldn't need the medication. So there's a woman listening now and she's really paying attention because she's thinking, wow, we don't have sex. We become like roommates. Either one of us could take it or leave it. Maybe she hasn't gotten out of hormonal poverty. So that's part of her issue. And if that's you, you definitely want to listen up because <laughs> we are going to run a special at her hormone club this winter if you want to join us but she knows her partner she's observed that he's having some difficulties whether obtaining an erection maintaining having short ejaculation or premature ejaculation how do you suggest that she approach this and talk to him because i've heard complaints from women before that when they've tried to broach this subject with their partners that it has not been met with openness so as a man what would you say how do we approach this with our partners that's a great question 
hopefully you have some background information on the guy because someone it depends on the person's age but if, if it's if it's a man over 45 or 50 uh it it's the, the likelihood of that person having a physiological problem increases so you really need to, need to know what someone's blood pressure is what their blood sugar hemoglobin a1c is for the, in the blood sugar what their testosterone level is there are there are tests and then their medications i you know with I've been impressed with the work that I've done over the last year speaking to our patients, how many men can be helped just by adjusting their medications and because they're often taking multiple medications that, that, that often in combination with alcohol are, are affecting their sexual performance. So you need to find out about the base, these, these baseline health factors. Another issue is, these are all thoughts such, such as discussed, which is if a man can get it up with pornography and if a man is having erections at night when he's sleeping, he should be able to get up with his partner. And if he's not getting up with his partner, there's some issue in the relationship, far more likely than not, some anxiety-producing issue that's built up over the, often, often built up over the years that, need, that, that needs to be addressed, addressed mm-hmm. between the two of them or, or addressed with, with, with the benefit of therapy. That's where ring comes in handy because a lot of those men, get, they can get up and then they, lo- then they lose the erection and then they avoid sex because they, they, they feel, I've got it up with her, but I've lost it. It hasn't worked out. That's where ring comes a confidence builder because a man with an erection thinks very differently than a man without erection and, and the cock ring will keep the blood in the penis even if people are having an argument with an erection. Is the way for her to approach it with him to maybe say, honey, I have some concerns I'd like to talk to you about. Can we set aside some time this weekend and then secure a time and then just couch it as a health concern and say, you know, I've noticed... ABC when we are making love and I'm concerned because I heard Dr. Justin talking on <laughs> Dr. Kieran's show that this could have indications meaning that you're at increased risk for heart disease, heart attack and early death or any of the other things we talked about or that the medications you're on might be need to be adjusted and I'm really wondering if we might be able to go to your doctor or if you could make an appointment with your doctor does that sound like a reasonable approach? Yeah, it's non-threatening. Uh-huh. Absolutely, and it does have to be approached as a partner issue. I mean, men often need the support of their partners just to comply with their medicines. Mm-hmm. Some, I mean, women are much more likely to comply with it with it with their medicines. Also, I think people need to think about what happens when they try to have sex and their significance. I mean, if a man never gets an erection doesn't have a, a morning erection. This is where a device that can count the number of night, that could be worn overnight comes in handy. I'll take it at both extremes. If a man, if a, if a man has a tech ring that can count that he wears overnight and he has nocturnal erections, three or more, that man's sexual health is good enough to have, to have sex. So that indicates that the issue is not medication-related, disease-related. The issue is probably is partnership-related. At the other extreme, the other extreme, and this happens, we, we, if a man has two or less nocturnal erections, or those not, and those erections are, are either weak or, not, or they just don't occur, that partner is getting wrist fatigue or jaw fatigue for nothing because it ain't going to happen. That man has a significant erect, erectile problem. That man needs, to, to, to your point, that man needs to see a urologist and a cardiologist because he has a cardiovascular cardi- and urological problem of, of profound significance, and he needs help. Mm-hmm. So that, okay. and that's what that, that's that's where the data really comes in handy because the data are to assess what's going on. So it, it could be, hey, honey, I noticed that you know the last six months have been really bad. You know, been difficult for you in in bed, and you start taking medication X just around the same time. Maybe the medication is the problem, and maybe we can with data we can test whether that is 
the issue. Right. And so the device that you developed, actually, they can wear overnight and it gives data in the privacy of their own home. Is that correct? That's correct. They could be worn during sex as well, too. Okay. And so how often do they have to use it to get enough data for how long? A week? It takes a month? About, up to about four uses for the sensors to calibrate to the, to the individual's body because people's you know, penises vary in, in how firm they get. They vary in, in you know, there's variability in how long, how, how long people last. So when I use it the way I, I, I use blood pressure. I take my blood pressure once a week. I take my, I measure my sexual health once a week. Oh, okay. And then you kind of can follow it over time. Yeah. We have, we have men who use it every day and we have men using it frequently. I mean, it's been really valuable. There's a whole other issue here too, which we discussed is prostate disease, which is is another issue that in prostate disease can, erectile dysfunction can be a warning sign of prostate disease. So if a man- yeah, yeah, we didn't I, even talk, I, I'm sorry, sorry. I mentioned, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. So, right, if a man develops, is starting to develop erectile dysfunction, that man doesn't, you know, especially an older man, not, you know, man over the age of 45, 50, that man needs, needs a, a, a urology exam as well, too. And men should be getting a rectal prostate exam annually, correct? Annually, or at least every two, every, every two or three years. And if there's a family history, it, should, it might be, need to be done more frequently. I mean, the right. PSA test remains controversial. I think it's a good idea. There might be some false positives, but you know, why take a chance? But what's the current age at which they should be getting that, and is it annual? It's annual. I think it's fifty-five. I have to, I have to look. The indications change change so frequently. I have to look it up. Same for women. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, make sure that your partner is getting the PSA, prostate-specific antigen, and a rectal prostate exam at whatever the current recommendations are they should be getting that women you need to be getting your rectal every year (laughs) they also need men need the rectal for screening for blood as well oh my gosh this is such good information and i think you've helped save some men some women and some marriages and couplings today because it's vital let me talk about that because we've had two men who had significantly declining nocturnal erections went to their doctors and, and, and went to cardiology, eventually got, got a cardiology workup and they, and they got catheterized and they got treated. They, would have, they could have gone to have a heart, have a heart attack or something more, more disastrous. So the data, the data is fun, but the data is also really, really valuable. Yes, very valuable when it comes to health. So ladies, don't ignore it if your partner is suffering with any of these conditions. Take steps to assess what's going on and get it addressed because it could be a sign of deeper health issues that could be life-threatening, number one. But number two, a great sex life is really an important part of your not only your physical vitality, but your emotional wellness and your connection to your partner and to the world at large. So thank you so much, Dr. Justin, for coming on and sharing this wonderful information. You've got some information to share with everyone about where they can find out more about you. We'll have the links in the show notes. They can find out more about your device and about how you are helping men. So if I can just add just one other thing, Dr. Dunstan, which is sure. that we're, work, we're working on similar technology for women. So we've already tested on, on, on 38 women and it's, it's our goal by early 25, 2025, to deliver data for women that will also allow them to hack their, sex, their sexual health in order to have a longer lifetime of, of lovemaking. Okay. You got to give us a sneak peek and like one to two minutes. <laughs> so sure. We can know about well, that. Uh-huh. We are measuring, it's all about blood flow in men and women. So, just as, as in the male device, firmness is a marker of, of blood flow. In a female device, I don't call it so much erection, but I call it arousal. 
uh, we are measuring blood flow in the clitoris overnight. Women have nocturnal clitoral arousal, and we are, are measuring that in, as a leading indicator of their cardiovascular and cardiometabolic health. And in one during sex, we are measuring their clitoral arousal as well. So that women can then measure the impact of diseases, diet, supplements, creams, all the all, all things that, that which claims are made for, for their sexual health and see what works best for them. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Do keep me updated on that. I will. <laughs> so yeah, tell everyone where they can find out more. Sure. You can find us at myfirmtech, M-Y-F-I-R-M-T-E-C-H.com. And you can find me directly at Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at myfirmtech.com. And thank you much, so much, Dr. Dunstan, for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I think this has been such valuable information. We will have that link in the show notes and you can go there to click and find out more and stay updated. I'm going to stay updated on what's coming down the line for women. I will certainly let you know. So thank you again for joining us for another episode of The Hormone Prescription. I know you are inspired to create a better sex life for yourself and your partner for all its wellness and vitality benefits. I look forward to hearing from you on social media more about this. Have a great week and until next week, peace, love, and hormones, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.